0: Dearest friends, welcome to another great day podcast episode. I'm your host and friend, Mayor Kay. Today we have Simon Jacobson. He's a dear friend of mine, a genius of a man, creative, an author, and has a way of explaining deep concepts in a simple way as you can experience for yourself by reading his book, Towards a Meaningful Life. On the day of his birth, yep, on his actual birthday, he made time for me and we chat, we sat down, we talked all things spiritual, God, purpose of life, all the while sprinkling in many stories and jokes as he's very well known for. My dear friends, Simon Jacobson. We are in the beautiful home of Rave Simon Jacobson or aka first of all before we jump into anything i want to wish you a very happy happy birthday thank you so much for hosting us on your birthday in your home it's it's an honor to be here so thank you what
1: better way to celebrate my birthday with the world
0: oh this is this is fantastic and may you be blessed to continue with strength and with joy and with happiness do you want a wisdom. website
1: where they can send me gifts
0: oh okay is there is there something that people could follow you right now the, do you have like a what are they called? Uh, you know, a sign-up sheet by Bed and Bath and Beyond. What's What's your... Uh... No,
1: no, no. I'm, I'm beyond that. Yeah. Uh... you beyond right. that. Okay, yes, yes, got it. Yes. Nice to see you there.
0: <laughs> well, listen, Rabbi, I mean, I know you go by Rabbi Simon Jacobson, but um, also, I think initially, that's your stage name,
1: isn't it? Because if, if I... Actually, you could strike the rabbi. I, a lot of people call me Simon, Simon, Simone. Simone. My mother, when she was especially endearing, she would say Simonke. When I wasn't, she wasn't, I wasn't so endearing, she said Simon. Oh, so if just for the tone, you knew. Yeah, 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 you know.
0: But from my understanding, it really Simon. I'll call you from Alan Simon, but it's not really necessary. Jacobson is Yakov Jacob Shreily,
1: if I remember correctly. You can expose all the skeletons in my closet. <laughs>
0: so that's a, that's a that's a very. When when did this transition take place uh, to Jacobson? I mean, it rolls off the tongue a bit, you know. It's it's a painful period
1: in my life, and I, you want me to go into this trauma? Uh,
0: I mean, this is this is the this is where it all gets real, right now. It's my
1: real. grandfather was actually born in Georgia, Russia. Okay, you're a Bukharian? Bukharian and Georgia don't get along, actually. Oh, yeah. what? Okay. Bukharia is Kazakhstan. This is Gor- Gruzia. Gruzia, right. Okay, okay, fair enough. And uh, so his, and there, everybody's names was Shvili. Shvili means son of. When surnames were added, there were countries actually that were nice to the Jews, and he said son of. So he was son of Jacob, is Jacob Mm. Mm-hmm. So when my grandfather came to Toronto, after World War II, he changed it to Jacobson. Nice. Yakubashvili is the original name so it's really two generations I'm a namesake after my grand. even Simon, by the way is not a common name it's not a common name it's a Sephardic name a Georgian name like Simon Tov but I feel like
0: that's you know not being common you're not, a, you're not a common human being either so I think you know they say the name reflects the person's soul their essence and for one you are somebody that defies all that you're I know you don't like going by the name Rabbi but you are definitely a prominent you know leader a Rabbi of many sense yet I'll you tell you why I don't like rabbis. Because why not?
1: rabbis have a bad name, and they actually are a stereotype. You know the one with the, the like, rabbi, I have all these anti-rabbi jokes. Can I tell one, please? So there's the two guys get lost in a hot air balloon. And they don't know where they are. They're maneuvering. They see a guy down below and they say, "Hey, where are we?" He says, "You're in a hot air balloon." And then a gust of wind comes by, whisks them away. And they and one guy says to the next, "What was that?" He says, "That was surely a rabbi." He says, "How do you know?" Because what he said was true but irrelevant. So this is it. So, and, and I say this in a serious note. Especially in the United States, rabbis are, are seen in certain stereotypical ways. Some like rabbis, but a lot represent dogma, condescension, judgmentalism. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do not like rabbis. So, so I, let me ask you this. I listen, some rabbis are my best friends. So I'm not anti-Semitic. <laughs> Let's make that clear. Oh, However, in some situations, I don't have a problem with the word
0: so why So why not come with the approach of you coming as a rabbi
1: and breaking those stereotypes? Because stereotypes are exactly that. They're embedded. And it takes time to un—to undo them.
0: So would you say that's part of the reason why you don't like necessarily wear the traditional black hat, the black coat, you know, the hat and jacket? I'm very
1: proud of my my heritage. I have, I really don't have uh, trauma in my religious upbringing. Some people have been abused. Some people have been hurt. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. I have nothing about it that I dislike. But I'm very sensitive in communication of how you project. I'll, I'll share with you a story. Okay? Please, yeah. When my book came out, Toward a Meaningful Life, so, uh, I was sent by the publisher on a book tour.
0: This so is back in '95?
1: Yeah. Uh, before the war, for many wars. <laughs> back in the Hops, in the Nuns. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, the nuns. Yeah, 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 yeah. '95, before, in, the, in the early, in the last century. Well, Yeah. Very good. Okay, there you go. That's right. Um, and I came to a place, Cleveland. So, the book, the, the publisher sets up the publicist, who's given this whole royal treatment. They told you, don't take, let it get to your head. At 12 o'clock, you turn back into a pumpkin. Until then, red carpet. You have media interviews, print, radio, TV, and in the evening you speak in a bookstore. So I had that whole royal treatment. So one morning I had a morning show. You have these morning like book, like author uh, interviews, like five six minutes live. So it's Cleveland, uh, Cleveland in the morning. I come to the studio and the interviewer comes to greet me. She looks at me and literally her face turns white, and is all like pale and disturbed. And I said, "Did I offend you in any way?" She says. No, but I can't believe that you're the author of this book. I love this book. It's on my nightstand. I read it every night. I can't believe that you look this way. So I said, you know, most people would be offended by that. You know, what would you expect? <laughs> exactly, right? She said, I expected a slim, tall, white, sexy-looking guy. <laughs> you know? And I said, I thought... That's Wait, in my I'm...
0: opinion, which is something that you are, and you body. That's what has. I said to her. Yeah.
1: I said, that's, I thought that was exactly that. Maybe two out of the three, you know, but uh, some of them. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. She said, because your book is so relevant, I never thought you'd look like an orthodox rabbi. You know, so, mm. so I said, why don't you ask me that on the show? That's a great topic. So she did, in a respectful way. She said, wouldn't your message be received better if you looked like one of us? So I said, would you say that to a Saudi Arabian prince or to someone in dreadlocks or something? You would never say that. Right. They would fire you. Great. So yeah. you say it to me. I'm not offended, but maybe it's a good opportunity to cut through stereotypes. Why don't we just talk heart to heart? I don't judge you by what you, how you dress. Mm-hmm. I don't judge you. I want to know what your heart and soul is like. Let's talk like that. So it was a really good interview. All right. that's a- So I deal a lot. Stereotypes, I can tell you right now, is from, communica- from a communication point of view, the most difficult because it's an invisible enemy. You speak to an audience, Yeah. you don't know what they're thinking. Totally. And you see I automatically- a guy with a beard, a yarmulke, maybe I remind them of an angry grandfather, you know, I have so many stories I can share on this, oh, but I don't want to. I don't want to hog this uh, show. You
0: know. No, absolutely. This is all about you, right? This is it's your day. It's, it's your special you. day. Oh, it's for sure. This is this is your. This is your. You remind it's me of that guy. birthday. This is the least I can do. This is my gift to you. A few moments so, where you so can t- share your thoughts. I mean, how often do you
1: want to get something off your chest? Tomorrow, this won't happen. Is what you're saying? Right?
0: Oh, this is all we have is now. All we have is the present. Very good. Yeah, this, this is this. remind
1: me of the guy that goes on a date. All right. He talks about himself for two hours, and then he turns to the woman and says. Okay, enough about me. Now, what do you think about me? It's all <laughs> that about could be me. my issue why I'm so
0: single. This is that's how what's I, this, this is exactly what goes on.
1: Oh wow! Okay, it's two states of narcissism. First, it's all about me. Now, I want to hear what you have to say about it. <laughs> and that's like being open minded. I'm, I'm giving you space. Give me, give me the time to speak about me. <laughs>
0: that's that's fantastic. So when so to, I mean you brought up you brought up you know towards a meaningful life and that's and my first interaction about you and knowing about you was over 15 years ago. I went with my father to. um to his friends' uh, dinner, gala dinner for his community in Riverdale, and you were the keynote speaker that right, evening. Right. And you were, and you you gave out your uh, Towards a Meaningful Life, your book. And I remember going over to you afterwards, and you signed the copy. I was blown away by your way of being and what you shared. I was young in mind and spirit, and I was just really amazed by your by your talk. And afterwards, reading the book, it really had a massive impact on my life, and something which I reread over the time
1: that's that's very kind of you i'm very touched when i hear that
0: it's yeah it's it's a fantastic book which i mean which makes me wonder a what was the what what inspired you to write the book and also was there a a, a pivotal moment in your life that you know that you felt challenged by and like you know this could be a good way of expression like it, what led you to to writing this book
1: sure just a short background a bit uh, I worked for many years for the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He would speak on Shabbos and holidays, and uh, there were no recordings and no notes. So we had to remember verbatim. You're seven, a Khazer. A chaser, exactly. Your audience knows what that is? No, but I, which I once said Khazer, they thought it meant chaser, <laughs> So that's, that's definitely not what it is. means a repeater. It means I was able to absorb ver, almost verbatim, um, five, six hours. And that's not small, batter. That means that it has to yield 100 pages that are not redundant. That's so,
0: incredible. So let's give you some context again. So you, how old were you at this time?
1: I began doing it when I was around 20. 19, 20 years 20 20, old. 20 years so old. I was a student in yeshiva, and I was very intrigued by the process, which is very unique because in this technological age, you record everything. Correct. Why right. would you have to remember? But here, because of Shabbos and holidays and the restrictions, you can't write, you can't take notes, you can't record. So students would listen to their master, to their teacher, and this goes back from the beginning of time. It's called Torah Shabbal Peh, remembering, mm-hmm. and I had to retain, absorb, and then after the Shabbos and holiday, recreate it and put it on paper. That's what I did. That's called a Chayzer, remembering, absorbing. I like the word absorbing. Mm-hmm. You're absorbing the wisdom of a sponge, exactly, and word by word. Not even you're not even like paraphrasing. You're like really just right. taking every single. You're moment. not processing. You're just absorbing. You're just listening. It's the art of listening true listening without you processing what you're hearing I'm actually thinking of writing a book on this topic just for uh, the record that's,
0: that's fascinating I yeah. mean that's like I mean to, to and you and then comes it.
1: the second part was called a maniach a maniach meant someone that committed it to paper mm. which was equally challenging because now you have to take it and put it in words on paper annotate it well, wouldn't so, that be the person who memorized it or be a separate some person some people memorized well and did not write well some people I did both and I became the main writer at this guy talents huh it's here and there <laughs> um, in 1979 I became the main writer and I remained that writer until 1992 when the Rebbe had a stroke and wow. left him s- speechless so
0: and you, rather, you also ran the Vara that was Vara that was it so, was so a, you handpicked young students to help you memorize and to write down it
1: wasn't always handpicked people had to really you had to show up I just I showed up I came I came what was called Chazara small group of people reviewing and I, was, I really was intrigued by the process. I loved the idea of listening, recreating. It was exciting. How does one do that? How, are you just born? that? Is that
0: a, a, a talent that you're born with? You just remembered every single thing that anybody ever said? There's no
1: question there's a gift, but as every gift has to be developed. If you don't work on it, the gift is not. I actually have workshops I teach people how to remember better. It's about, think of two wheels in your brain. One absorbs, one processes. Children, for example, only absorb because they don't have anything to process yet. That's where they're like a dry sponge. You can teach them language easily Mm. and it remains etched in their psyches forever. Adults, go teach a 20-year-old a new language. It's very difficult because you already have, you're not a dry sponge, you're a saturated sponge. uh, It's not a clean slate. Your slate is filled with information for good or for bad. So you process. When I say something, you're processing. Oh, that makes sense. It's like a conversation. Mm. When you want to really listen and absorb, you can't have a conversation. You can't process. You listen. Even if you don't understand,
0: I wonder if that works against you sometimes. You know, because you're the guy you're in, in the relationship with your wife or with your friends who will always remember everything. Like, I told you so. I'm back in 1987, you said X, Y, and Z. So I, does it does it work against it, it, your benefit sometimes?
1: You have to have a filter. Yeah, you can do, I mean, keep. Them, you have to keep it, make it pr- pick and choose. Yeah. try to remember the good things. You know, but in this case. But I want to answer your initial question. I know we're Let's going to get back for one to it. One, no, second. no, but I'm glad you did because I, I did
0: jump towards Towards a Meaningful Life, which is later, but I did want to cover your time. Okay, but I, I think it's important
1: because I can't explain Towards a Meaningful of Life course. without my uh, background. Yeah. So to me, this was a work, a labor of love. I loved this. I wasn't doing it as a job, it was, I wasn't getting paid for it. I loved it. I was con- totally consuming. And I have to say, it was like I was like in heaven. It was the greatest drug, but a healthy drug in the sense I had such a high from doing this. Because the Rebbe's ideas were very provocative, stimulating, challenging. And here I'm right there, part of history. being part. Because if we didn't put it down on paper, we'd be lost forever. So it was a really, I, I, it was my passion. It was like the, the greatest drug in a healthy way. I was completely consumed with it. It was so powerful. The Rebbe's provocative ideas, stimulating, covering so many subjects. And I was part of history. Because oh. without me doing the writing was be lost.
0: Before you got, joined this, this Heuser job, this gig, who, how did people, right now In, that in every
1: generation, there was a few select that did it. Mm-hmm. And the, now I was, I rose to the occasion and I became the next one in line. Did someone, where was passed down, like, oh, this guy's no, I used here. to, you, you come around a small group of Hazara, which is like a few people reviewing. Uh-huh. And I used to weigh in and then I became better at it and people saw that I'm really good. Amazing. And it's, 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 you know, in 1979, I mentioned I became the main writer. But this was my life. It was my life. It was so powerful. And it, I don't even know who I would be it not for this period in life. Because I loved it. I was very linked in. I'm by nature a skeptical person, even till this day. But this was music to me. You know, you fall in love with music. Mm. Like the mechanical part of Judaism, I didn't relate to. I didn't understand its significance, especially all the details and the laws. And I grew up with it. It was, uh, it was. I have nothing against it, but it was tedious. It was like uh, monotonous in a way. And I realized I was like a rebel without a cause. And then I found my cause. because so I started learning Hasidus. I started learning the soul of Torah, the mystical, the spiritual. And that really resonated with me. It's, so once I was, and I'm like extreme. I'm in, I'm in all the way. I'm not like, you know, I'm not doing this mediocre.
0: Was there a period of time before you jumped into this that you were... You mentioned you're skeptical, and you go, "Was there a pl- time and place when you perhaps doubted religion or the way of life? Was there something that you
1: till this very day, you know?" you uh, so I, how
0: does that? How does one be a skeptic and yet
1: still follow through with with religious day in day out? You come to terms that not everything has answers. You know, people prove God exists, prove the Torah is true. I I always laugh. I say, "No, I don't have a proof." Because for every proof, I can give you another proof the other way around. Prove that God exists. Yes, a beautiful universe and all that. Then the Holocaust comes around, and you have big questions. Mm. So I think it comes—it's like a maturity where you come to terms that you don't have to have absolute proofs for everything. Life is not just about proof; it's not mathematical. There's also called experiential things that resonate. Proof to me that you love your spouse. Proof to me that um, you—that this is something. Proof that there's love. Proof that music touches your heart. What are you gonna do? Hook someone up to monitors and see their heartbeat goes up. So there's experiential elements. And you come to realize this is a gray area and not everything, you know, so you could be a totally naturally healthy skeptic. A healthy skeptic is someone that's open to questions, but they're open to answers. An unhealthy skeptic just uses questions as excuses just to get their way. You know, you could argue with someone, you see they're not, you're never going to win this. So I had that certain sense that, yes, I have a very skeptical side. So what? That doesn't mean there aren't. When I see a child that's hurting, I don't look for scientific proof. Why is it bothering me? Why do I have empathy? Was it because I was once a monkey who has empathy for another monkey because it ate nuts? I didn't need that explanation. Um, you know, I, I my point is that I there's it's respecting emotions, respecting life experiences. Obviously, you need, a, you need a mind to guide your emotions. So I never took my skepticism. I was skeptical about my skepticism. Let's put it that way. And I do that till this day. I, I, I'm actually called by some as the rabbi for, of atheists because I know that position very well. But I also know I have another voice inside of me that does believe in the nobility of man you know, and, the, and the significance of life. Can you prove life has meaning? No, but Some I, people live life that life has no meaning. But sure, mean, but it listen. seems
0: like, I mean, knowing both sides of the coin, you know both arguments, why choose the one of, of, of
1: That's God? That's an, and- an excellent question. At the end of the day, a choice has to be made. I didn't want to be on the fence, spend the rest of my life saying, you know what, I don't know, I'm on the undecided. Like the guy that says, you know, they come to him and say, uh, he says, um, I used to think I'm indecisive, now I'm not so sure. Yeah, You know. yeah, sure. I didn't want to be one of those. Make a decision, I want that passion in my life. because Do I have a, a million percent proof? I don't need proof. I know looking back, it was the right decision. And I'm not going to sit and have to debate the issue about the truth of it. The truth of it resonates. I know that I can help people. That's true for me. Someone will show me one day that the whole thing was an illusion and maybe it's just in my mind. You know what? But I felt that's the right thing. So to you're go. saying religion and this you know, Pascal's va- wager, he says, I'd rather live a life of morality and find out it was false than live a life of immorality and find out that, that was wrong. So not, not so much as a wager, but you know, right. so, so, so to me, I was I was exposed to a very religious environment. I grew up in Crown Heights in the Chabad, Sirius going to 7 o'clock in the morning to, sh- sh- to school, to yeshiva, till 9, you know, the intensity. But I also saw a lot of mediocrity. I saw a lot of conformity, things that didn't resonate with me. And again, not because I was hurt. It wasn't like I was hurt and I was looking for bad things. I just saw it, and I, I, I wanted excellence in my life. I mean, I do not have the words then when I was young, right. and I didn't see it. But then when I started seeing the spiritual side of Judaism, then it resonated. It's like music. It's like, how do you know you're a musician? Ask a musician. So what made you decide to go into music? You know, you know what the answer is going to be. At some point, That's it was just in my heart and soul. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't give you exact. It just resonated with me. Then I started listening to the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, in a new way. I saw one second, this man is a revolutionary. He's dre- just dressed in traditional garb. He wants to change the world. I'm in. I also want to change the world. Mm-hmm. And I felt that type of thing. You know, We live in a world that is very much no compass. Moral compass, spiritual compass. Technology is advancing at breathtaking speeds. However, in personal life, relationships, um, intimacy, children are suffering. And I felt I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. All this resonated with me. I mean, I can go on and on. Right. So you decided to, so you
0: were part of this. That's, that's, that's amazing. So, so that drew me into it. It wasn't just to, to be a chazer to remember. Right. So the ideas. You believed in the ideas. You I'm believed in the, the movement. movement. The ideas were basically
1: how to live a healthy life, the healthiest possible life. What? Which means not just physically, but also spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally. Which of And course I saw, you talk about a lot. You talk about course, a, lot, a lot. I mean, a lot of so the I balance see, between physical. When, and when I see, for example, on Blueprint, of a model of having a healthier emotional life, one with emotional intelligence, not just playing academic mind games. That 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 was it. That, that I, I'm in, right. and I saw a really functional and healthy. Now I know plenty of the dysfunctionality in the religious world. Don't get me wrong; just like there's dysfunctionality everywhere. We're, we're but, with I saw, sure. but I saw, But uh, I saw also a solution, and I started become That's how what I embraced. So when the Rebbe had a stroke, and then he passed away two years later, 1994 it was in my blood this commitment so i said what's my next step in life i have to document this in a language that every person in the mainstream can and i felt like a compelling need to do it it wasn't just okay i'm gonna write a book no. it was that's why it was quick I was very focused i was like laser focused like you know like you know i must you're you in flow you were just like you in just the sat zone down. in the zone absolutely and it was all miraculous in many ways. The book deal with a major publisher. Yeah, absolutely. 300,000 copies sold. Yeah. Yeah. 14 languages. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And, and I was in the zone. So I knew, like today, people say, would you write a different? I wouldn't touch one word because that was, it was like, a, a, it was art. It was right. meant to be at the time. What I did was I went into my kishkes, to my innermost, uh, innermost recesses of my being. And everything that I had absorbed over the years in the Rebbe's talks, I translated into language. My question is, how does an early like yourself learn how to
0: uh, write so perfectly, so, so beautifully? The language is. is well, the Babaji, Shiva, the, oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Boston, Red yeah. Sox, Yankees, you know. Exactly. Of course. Right. Of course. I'm sorry that I. Uh, no, no, no. Offense, no, no. no just, uh, just for the record. Just the, the, the record show. Yeah, but the, the education yeah. of
1: both are equally mediocre. <laughs> so <laughs> so let's, let's get that clear. So even more so. But no, but, but it, i tell the, you the truth. The book is, yeah. No, the answer is writing and language is reading. I've always absorbed ideas. I know people who have PhDs in literature and they can't write. Yeah, they it's, they, it's they, a, they book it's smart aren't sure. because you know, so, writing is communication, and speaking is communication. It's knowing how to speak from the heart to touch the heart. You can't learn that in school. No. You find that, then you find the right words. Mm-hmm. You know, and I am blessed in my family were writers, were speakers, were communicators. Yeah, I find the word. Look, to me, a word is a is a musical note. It's a way of expressing a feeling. When you look at words that way, so the words are meant to be aligned to your feeling. It's not like I'm looking for the words, and it just comes. And then you know, you read, you absorb, and so on. Do you have any any favorites?
0: Uh, any favorite authors? Any favorite books?
1: In I the can... Torah world, or in the two from the <laughs>
0: two from the Torah world, two from the secular world.
1: Ah, good. Okay, um, in the Torah world, all of Hasidis touches me deeply. All right. And now I'm into Ayin I Ayin is a series of discourses that are th- th- over almost two thousand pages long with teaching it every morning. You're and dissecting
0: a, you you give a you give a morning class yeah. here in your home and right, right and now you're
1: going through IMBs, you're going through this. I B's and, and that is like I'm in love with it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Very deep, mystical, but very psychological and emotional. Been doing it for eight years daily, except wow. Shabbos. It's all recorded. It's on YouTube. Nice, good plug, Rabbi. you good. So at that, that book is very is touches me now. But I but Samach vov Tanya, of course. Tanya. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you asked me two books with from the, the Iyvayz right now. Summer because they are, they are like again music. So base for one. What will
0: be the second one from the summer vov? Let's call summer vov. vov. All right, beautiful. Okay.
1: Tanya doesn't make the first two. Okay, all right. Because no, Tanya, to truth is Tanya is very esoteric and, and complicated. It's harder to understand, but Tanya. So, yeah, From all you can, Tanya's more,
0: more complicated than I and B's? Tanya is the isn't that the lane more ends? dense?
1: Let's put it this way it's more dense, you need more unpacking. Mm-hmm. But, I, but yes, it's up there. I, I, I that's why it's Fair hard not. to answer what's the favorite. It's like, ask what, what's your favorite parsha in the Torah, you know what I mean? Each parsha has this thing, Shmice, you know. but
0: it's uh, well, that's suffering,
1: it's, it's huh? Shemais is suffering. Ah, uh, there you go. Okay, everybody's got their, everybody's got their uh, pe- pet peeve. Yeah, you know, on your
0: podcast, we could talk about that. Yeah. It happens my- I actually
1: like Pasha Kisisa a lot. Kisisa. When God and, and Moshe have this personal, intimate conversation about life. That, oh. I really like that one. Oh. But my, in the secular one, a, a few books, Vanity Fair, not the magazine. magazine. No, not the magazine. No, no, no. Vanity Fair not. is one of the classics written by uh, William Makepeace Thackeray. I know. There was once people called Makepeace. Make peace Middle that. name, Make Peace. Anyway, wow. Thackeray, he wrote it in the 19th century. It's an excellent book that, that in my teens, I read that had impact on me. Um, maybe La Miserable is a great book. Oh, that's not, a, the, not the theater, not the Broadway show. The no, the book. It's ex- also a very dense book. That's a, that's a heavy book. Victor. Physically, Victor. a very heavy book. It's thick. Others, there's others that uh, I could... I, well, these are some of them. Let's bring but it back. But the point being, yeah. going back, so this you, passion drove me to write Toward a Meaningful Life. Fair enough. It Before, came from the soul. And I wanted to make one thing. I wanted to give people an introduction to spirituality, to God, from the perspective of uh, Judaism. But it's a universal book for everybody and a very personal, relevant way. I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve, which was take ideas and say, oh, wow, I can't believe how relevant this is. What was it like to work? We all know the Rebbe was a very...
0: I mean, there's so many adjectives we could say about the Rebbe, but one thing the Rebbe always did is he pushed everybody. He, you, know, you gave him two, he wanted four. He, he was always pushed people to, to their limits, knowing that everybody had an immense amount of potential, more than they ever saw from themselves. So, how was it exactly. working for such a
1: quote unquote demanding leader, boss? How was it to work for the Rebbe? The Rebbe was a brutal editor, I should add. So, when he was Rebbe was a publisher, he was a writer himself, and mm. he worked in publishing.
0: Wasn't there a story with you that you uh, wrote a comment, the Rebbe commented back, like, I think he missed the whole point? Of course. <laughs> What's that story? What's that story More about? More than once. Okay.
1: All right. The Rebbe was a, a, a brutal editor. I mean it in a good way. Like, a, like, think of it like a surgeon with a scalpel. He was every subtlety, every word. I learned, like, the perfect precision in words, even precision what you don't say, the gray areas. Right. So he was a, a master of oh, that. Oh, every single So word. I saw it. The more brutal, the more loving it was. I saw the Rebbe like, you know, think of a coach of a tennis champion. They they kick you in the butt. Right. They want you to show that they care. Right. They're not looking to criticize. It was always productive. So I saw it as here's the master of masters showing me the way. So I took the critique in a very, very powerful way, in a good way. Mm-hmm. It helped. Now, the precision I use words today is all due to the Rebbe's demand. So that demand lifted me up to another level. I would mm-hmm. never want it another way. I was not looking for compliments. Right. Oh, you did it great. We all like a compliment, but that doesn't bring excellence. So that, you know, the, then you get stuck in your comfort zone. The Rebbe pushed for me. It was about, and also I had to present uh, his own work, his own teachings to him. So you would be in one on one with the Rebbe.
0: You would have well, your it was in writing. It was all in writing. All writing. Did you so, have moments where you were alone the, with the Rebbe?
1: Yeah, I had the but they were like that was like the king and the you know it was. Uh, Different dynamic. Was, yeah, very different dynamic. That was different. But in writing, I have thousands of pages of the Rebbe's edits mm-hmm. on works that I did. And I was presenting his own teaching, you know, as you can imagine. And the Rebbe would so comment so, so many different uh, nuances. Is there that. something that sticks out from that time or from those notes? Yeah, I can give you an example. You know, for example, I once prepared an ad for the New York Times about Hanukkah. Okay. And I titled the ad, Whispering Flames. And it was like, based on the the Friedrich Rebbe's expression, we have to listen to the story the flames tell us. They tell us the story. So I was being poetic, whispering flames. The Rebbe edited it, and he circled whispering, and he wrote in Hebrew, I'll translate. He wrote, it's not quiet, it's persumonissa, it's publicizing. Mm. So the whispering, even though I'm sure the Rebbe appreciated my poetry. But of course. But the word whispering suggests secrets, suggests discretion. Mm -hmm. And the Rebbe wants the Hanukkah to be public. Sure. So I had to find. It wasn't so easy to find the replacement. That's an example. What did you change the title to? I think "Once Upon a Flame" maybe, oh. or the story that the flames, the story of the flames, something of that. I don't remember. It wasn't as memorable as whispering. All right. But Hashtag that, lit. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's just a small example. Another example: um, the Rebbe never used the word evil or bad. Right. It was always not good. It was not always, yet good, right? Not deadline, but due date. Always right. very specific. With yeah, the not word. not uh, the the not uh, not uh, the uh, Cholim, which means the house of the sick, the house of the healing, bet right. Rofim, and what he called the wounded of Israel, the soldiers, not the wounded, but the special. Yeah, the the, the, the attention. So this isn't detail. just language. This oh, yeah. is an attitude that doesn't. Have, you don't. You don't have that negativity. Everything that positive. I can go on and on. Absolutely. Precision, precision. And, so on, and sometimes taking something, don't make it black and white. Leave it a little ambiguous. And on on the
0: opposite side, when when the Rebbe did pass in 94, how did you take that?
1: On a personal level, I love the Rebbe. To me, and this is, I think, an important point to make. I, I do it in the epilogue in Toward a Meaningful Life. The Rebbe, to me, in this petty world of people, conflicts, money, power, influence, the Rebbe, like, to me, was the personification of truth, of reality, humility. He Never took himself seriously. He was always there for the people. So, you know, being connected to something like that is tremendous. So there was the personal. And Gimel Thomas, I was extremely pained. Firstly, the Rebbe had to go through all that suffering. And like you lose a father, or even more than a father. On the other hand, psychologically and emotionally, I was not a child. You know, I, I saw the Rebbe, and I see the Rebbe lives on in my heart and soul. Everything I do today is driven by the same power then from then because mm-hmm. that's he's like inside me right. in that way and i don't mean i'm not trying to be sentimental so in that way he doesn't die for me he lives on every you know lives on in the fullest possible way even doing an interview like this i have an excitement to share that with people because the Rebbe was not about his picture his face or his body It was his what he stood for oh. we say moisture The man lived 3,300 years ago but he's here if you're living with him a teaching that touches you it's like love. It does not die. It lives on forever. Mm. So it's a mixed feeling. I mean, obviously, I wish the rebel were here and all that passion and all that excitement. But I also feel responsible. I feel like I now have to represent what I heard. I have to tell the story, the story I was witness to. And people don't realize it because it wasn't called personality for me. It wasn't like this man, charismatic, blue eyes. No. It was a representation, really, of eternity, of something that has. I remember when Larry King asked me two days after Gimel Thomas, two days after the river passed in 1994. Mm-hmm. So I was on Larry King, CNN. Were you? And I was also on uh, Charlie Rose, since we're dropping names. Sure. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay, you're flexing. Same night. As the kids say, you're flexing. Yeah. Yeah. Just beginning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you share with Larry and so Charlie? So he asked
1: me. So Larry asked me this question. I'll tell you what I shared. It was live. So it was like, let's pause actually there that shit there. We're going
0: to do hit, We'll hit the, it's one minute. So let's just hit and we'll pick it up from there. Perfect. Hit it. Sorry for these little interruptions, but I just you know, want to make sure. Yeah.
1: It's good. yeah look, it's like the guy with the carriage, you know, about a mother's rolling carriage with a baby. Yeah. And someone says, What a beautiful baby. She says, Ah, you ain't seen nothing till you see the picture. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all the pictures. That's right. Who cares that's, right what that's what right, happens that's right, in right, reality. That's right. That's right. The Madison Avenue cynics say, it doesn't matter what happened, it matters what people think happened. So uh, Larry King, so this is two days after the Rebbe's passing, and it's another miracle how I got on those shows. It's a whole process. Yeah,
0: both well, podcasts too.
1: Larry King, live. Same night, Charlie Rose on PBS. Larry King asks me, live question, and Larry King's punchy, you have to have short answers. I understand why people are grieving that the Rebbe passed away. But why are they shocked? He's a 92 year old man, people die. So what do you say spontaneously? So this is what I said. I said, you have to remember for us the Rebbe embodied the Torah. The Torah is eternal, immortal. It went through thick and thin from thousands of years ago. It went through the best times. It went through the Holocaust, all the persecutions and it's still with us. So when immortality is touched by mortality, it's more than just grief. It's shocking. Hmm. That's what I said. And I fully believe that. Because this is not about as a cult personality. You're not talking about an individual. You're talking about when you dedicate your life to a cause that's greater than you, that cause is eternal. So you become a representative. So many people just represent themselves. So then they die and it's over with. But when you have that type of link and connection, the legacy continues lives. on. So that, that, uh, since we're on, it will give equal time to uh, Charlie Rose, even though he's fell out of favor of it. So Charlie Rose, a very good interviewer, said to me, you sat in the presence of this man. What was it like? Again, I wasn't ready for this question, and it's all two days after. It was a very emotional time. So this is what came out of my soul. I said, when you sat with him, you felt that you, not the Rebbe, you didn't feel his greatness, that you have greatness in you, and that you have a mission to accomplish that you and only you can accomplish, that you're indispensable. Wow. He said to me, I remember, he said, wow, that's something. I wish I had someone like that. How
0: apropos on the day, today's your birthday. Yeah. And, um, and the Bible always talks about the day that you were born. The day that you were born, your birthday, is the day that God says, shows that you matter. So that's- I use that.
1: That's the chapter on birth and toward a meaningful life. That's a line I use. That's one that probably been repeated so many times by people. who told me people who have been abused and hurt and always felt they didn't matter when they hear that line. I say, wow, it makes no difference what my parents did or didn't do. It doesn't make a difference what others have done to me. God wants me here. Mm. I matter to the one that matters most. So but that you, is a very powerful. It's a very powerful thought and idea. Um, it's this, it's this, by the way, it's the root of all healing. Mm. When you help people who've gone through trauma and they feel worthless and self-loathing and all that, then you have to realize you have a part of you that nobody gave you so they can't take it from you, your dignity, your soul. And that's the bottom line. That's the, to me, that's the core of all healing. Get someone connected to that part of themselves. So yes, things have happened to you, but you're not a victim of
0: circumstance. Do you feel like this generation? When I say this generation, I'm talking about you know the millennials, my you know the 20s, the teens. Do we? Do you feel like we fe- we feel less than, not a good enough, more than the generation previously, like your generation, my parents' generation? I, I think there's always been this. Or just issue. more time to think about it.
1: A few things. First of all, I think there's always been an issue of insecurity and fears. I'm not good enough, especially if you have parents that are demanding or critical and not validating. The child then begins to feel like I'm not good enough. Uh, but in our age, I think what's changed in this later generation, technology, first of all, amplifies everything. Misery is everywhere. You hear everybody else. So it like, in a sense, brings it to the surface. So we're all talking about our problems. And I think also technology creates an illusion of power. I have a phone. I'm connected but inside you're still a lonely little child waiting for some love. So I think that contrast, that we have an all-powerful word. You can order something on Amazon Prime, you got it in a minute. Hey, I'm a god. And then you know what? I'm lonely. I'm hurting. That's and technology it. cannot solve that. So I think everything what they used to say about the computers, junk in, junk out. So any dysfunctionality is now magnified thousandfold. Mm. I think there's more time, that's a good point a lot of leisure, a lot of free time, and the access to all kinds of things that are actually destructive. It's so easy to relieve yourself, to numb yourself with a drug. I don't just mean a physical drug, whatever it is that, really and mean. it's so easy, it's on your mobile phone, and you don't live up to your higher standards because you're busy with your instant gratification mm-hmm. just to feel good for the day. And I think the whole the media streaming 24 seven news, breaking news, everything's breaking news. It creates a des- you're desensitized, and finally there's a depersonalization. What am I in the scheme of 7.8 billion people? Who am I? Well, I'm, I'm worthless. Who needs me?
0: Was there a moment in your time, in you growing up, um, that you felt perhaps less than or not good enough?
1: No, to be honest, not in a real way. Yeah, of course, there's always moments that you feel you can do more, but I think it's from a healthy point in me, a restlessness to grow. But my father was extremely loving. My parents were loving. They gave me a, a tremendous foundation of self-love. And I don't mean in an arrogant way, sure. like, you, like you respect yourself. You have self-confidence. Your parents can give that to you. Mm. I mean, they actually reinforced my essential birth is God, God saying you matter. That's one thing that really is a blessing. And also finding my soul's calling. So I feel like I'm fulfilling my mission. I'm not looking for my mission. The same calling I had when I was 17, I have now at 63. And wow, that's, that's, I mean, that's what a blessing that is. That's, that's, I know people in their
0: 50s, 60s, still don't know why they're here. Mm-hmm. What, how do you think one can go about the journey
1: and finding their mission in life? Unfortunately, most deeper realizations come through pain. A lot of people hit rock bottom, life isn't working. Because when you're in your comfort zone and you think everything's going well, you're not, cruising, you're good. You're, yeah, you're not growing, even though your life may be completely a wreck. But you convinced yourself, I'm making money, people love me, respect me. And then, so I don't like to say it, but sometimes that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. I think those of us that discover it without real hitting rock bottom, it's either you have an epiphany, a certain maturity. You suddenly realize one second, you know, I want to get married. I want love in my life. I want a family. Or it can sometimes come through nature, through music. There's different ways. And then some of us are just spiritually more restless than others, like Bohemians that are more free spirits, and they're always seeking. They're looking for transcendence. They're not satisfied with survival. So it can come from many different directions. I deal with this all the time because I deal with people, and I see some people are just trapped right now. But you have to always plant seeds because I can tell you, everyone's soul is beating. Sometimes it's just you're more aware of it than others. There's a beautiful expression. I may be asleep, but my heart is awake. It's like love. Sometimes you love someone, and they're just not there. So you have to believe in them, you have to nurture them. You can't get angry, and you plant seeds, and you never know when that seed will sprout.
0: So when it comes to like this generation, it may you know a lot of people are worried. Every every sort of family, at least I don't want to generalize, but has one at least one child, one sibling that is you know is struggling or perhaps not following the tradition of 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 religious you know upbringing that they were brought up in. A, what do you think that, what's the reason for that? And B, how can a family member, you know, reconnect with that, with that, with that, with that child? I just,
1: I'll take from where I just leave. I want to just continue where I left off because I think it's vital. Please. A flower grows and blossoms when you water it. You don't water it, it will part, it'll become parched and it will ultimately wilt. Water is love. Love is literally like oxygen to the soul. I and mean, when you don't give that love, a person's soul will become wilted. They'll start imploding, becoming more fearful. You have no one to talk to. It will affect how you trust. It will affect intimacy of every sort. So the most important thing is children to receive unconditional love from their parents. This doesn't mean every behavior they do, you have to embrace. On the contrary, you see a child do something wrong, It's important to tell them, but you tell it with love, not with anger. Mm -hmm. And not because you embarrassed me. It's not about you. Because you care about the flower, you want to get rid of the weeds. That type of approach. We're gardeners. So I would say the following. When children go through challenges, whatever it may be, whether they leave the tradition and some parents just can't handle it because it's like invalidating what I gave you. But it's not about you. It's about your child. How do you know what your child's going through? So the love can never be help people punish their children they, they give they take their love back
0: right. yes, that's the worst
1: possible way to do things why can't you have now remember when changes happen in children's lives for whatever reason they leave the religion or they have other issues and so on where there's smoke there's fire usually there's a reason for it what i mean by reason is it's not just because they came to a philosophical the query and they determined there's no god and then shabbos means nothing I, I don't believe that many people are just that philosophical about that. Because I told you before, there's this this proofs for God, there's proofs against God. Mm-hmm. And many people, have your are a nice Shabbos table, what's wrong? Maybe I, I may not believe it all, but you know what? Whenever you see any radical change, there's always reasons. And, don't, and let's not underestimate what happens to people. Look, I have no question. I deal a lot with people who are, grew up in the Jewish from community and now are not there. I don't have a judgment, drop of judgment in me. I don't think that way. Who am I to know what's going on in their lives? But let's be honest, if they have someone to trust, I assure you that something will come up. It could it could be, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but it could be molestation and abuse. And that could be the cause why people change their behavior. Mm. And I, I really do not say it in any dismissive way. Because like, you know, when you say, I grew up in a toxic environment, it might be, I, I'll tell you, I do my program, my life, so this applied every Sunday night. A number of months ago, I spoke about, um, People growing up in abusive homes. I got a letter from someone who said that he listened, and for the first time he's going to tell his wife how much he hates Shabbos. Why does he hate Shabbos? And he has children already. He's married 16 years. Wow. Because his father could, his father was such a cruel man. He always Friday night, he would say, okay, what did you learn this week? And then he wanted to humiliate me in front of everyone. So for me, Shabbos it was, back like, was literally like a story. holocaust. Oh my god. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I started dreading Shabbos because my father would do this to put me down and humiliate me. No, you kind of impact that has. Now he didn't leave it, whatever reason, but I could see him dropping Shabbos. Why would he want Shabbos is toxic for him. Shabbos is not good memories. So so what, what do we know what's going on in people's lives? I know from my work, you have to show love. You have to you earn trust. And when you earn the trust people open up Everyone who's dealing with anything they're struggling with needs someone to talk to. That's the first thing. I would not go to become religious and come, you know, I can't stand with this. Oh, you came back for Simcha's tater. The the, 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 the yid is in you. You're still a chosid. You ate kash and mimim. That means you I can't stand when people say that. It's so, it's so dismissive. Right. How do you know what that person's going through? Maybe they're coming, they want to come home because they love, they want to be home for a day. And that type of thing. That we know the truth, and you're finally coming back to the truth. That, to me, is disgusting. What do you mean you know the truth? You grew up with it. You're a cultural Jew. How do you know you, you chose? it? How many religious Jews choose to be religious? They grew up in homes, True. just like Muslims grew up in Muslim homes. I don't mean, to, again, to be dismissive. But when people have it. So to me, it's a spiritual journey. And some people have to lose God before they find God. Maybe mm-hmm. they're losing an unhealthy God before they find a healthy God. And I think having that attitude and having people you can talk to on that level changes everything. Why can't you have a conversation with someone even if you totally disagree with them? Absolutely. When there's love. Right. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. But things there's... are changing because that attitude, that, con- that dismissive, judgmental, condescending attitude, becoming exposed more and more as not healthy. And it's more about, it's like, why, why do you, you have to be wrong for me to be right?
0: the same way one has an opinion so too can the the other person i mean i just know for myself being the oldest in my family um seeing the seeing and to give much credit to my parents how they pivoted and changed and and how they've been supportive in many ways in my growth and my in my journey when it comes to religion and my belief in god and my not believing in god and and that 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 journey that that has been continuous through my through my teens. And I always 20s. ask
1: I always ask teenagers and whatever the teenagers at risk or they're dealing with things. I said, "Do you have someone to talk to you about your pain?" And usually, we will say no. Not your parents. No one to talk to. Yeah. that means you're living with loneliness. The deepest secrets in your life are lonely. You oh, have no one to talk suffering. To. Do you think people's? Do you think people's lo-
0: You know, everybody has their their struggle. Do you think depression or suffering? In itself, is someone's lot to carry through life, or is it just a phase in life and there's something?
1: I think it's a phase. I think it's a wake-up call. Remember, dead people are not depressed. <laughs> okay. So if you're depressed or anxious, it means your soul is telling you something's wrong. It's like pain. You feel pain in your finger, go do something about it. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is, is, a, is, is a psychic pain. It's spiritual pain. It's your soul telling you something's missing. You go, fix, go figure it out. So I don't see anxiety and depression as a, as a end in itself. Mm-hmm. Listen, there is clinical. People have chemical imbalances. People have things that they have to deal with. But, you know, today, thank God we have medication. But more than medication, we also have support. The worst possible thing is t- turning someone into pariah. Oh, what's the matter with you? You know, that type right. of thing. What's wrong with you? Sicko.
0: I mean, that's just like lack of compassion. Yeah.
1: I've that's seen this, people, this lack and, of, of, I've seen people who literally have all the odds stacked against them. Terrible parents, dysfunctionality. And I don't even want to go into the Nightmares of being raped by a parent or something like that, right? You know, and and I've seen some risen to the occasion, found something in their heart and soul that is pure, and in a way, they're the most refined people I know. And others are suffering, but I would say this: there's no Mm. such thing as hopeless. That's a word that's not in our dictionary, especially for the Jewish people. There is no hopeless. It doesn't matter. The question is, how are you going to get there? You're going to go this way or that way or this way and of course it would be the nicest to grow up in a beautiful home where everything goes smooth but you know what maybe that's not the path the path is going to be this way so I mean would you say is Judaism the 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 way for a Jew to feel fulfilled and to find meaning healthy Judaism now first of all Judaism and health is synonymous for me but a lot of Judaism is toxic what do I mean it's presented in a toxic way I always say that a dysfunctional religious person is worse than a dysfunctional non-religious person because then religion becomes part of the drug you know we're going to say to him, it's going to solve our problems. No, go talk to your husband or wife, or talk to your children. Not only tell him, say him, but do something. It almost takes out the human part. Because I'm going to run, God's going to help me. Mm-hmm. No, God helps you when you help yourself. And you have to use your reason. God gave you Seichel and Midas, he gave you mind and emotions. We'll use them, are you using them, or are you just saying, God's going to help? And I think, but healthy religion, absolutely, a healthy faith, a healthy Judaism, especially infused with Hasidis like the neshama of it and the saka is, you, you can't imagine, it's really a blueprint for life. Concept, trach gut yeah, Think good, think good, be, good. It'll be good. It's not just a nice bumper sticker. It's because you have a goodness inside of you and you're not believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can change your destiny if you're positive. It's what they call today a positive psychology. Samach Sadek spoke about the idea 100 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Just as an example. How does someone find meaning in daily routines? So I have one of my favorite stories. I love this story. I think it can change your life, to be honest. The Baal Shem Tov. There's a man called Abchaim Rapoport. He was a well-known sage. It's a long story, but make it short, he sent him on a mission somewhere. And one of the parts of the mission was to to travel a certain direction. Later, the Baal Shem Tov wanted to know, did you fulfill? Yeah, you fulfilled the mission. But how did you travel? So he said, I stayed in an inn. But then one night, I camped out I woke up in the morning, and I washed my hands. I said my prayers, and then I sat down to eat something. There was a spring of water there, and I took a cup of water. I made a bracha, a blessing. The Baal Shem Tov suddenly jumped up and said, that spring of water was waiting from the beginning of time for you to come and bless it. So why is this powerful story? Because you talk about the details. I travel around the world, and I always say to myself, Maybe this part of this, where I am right now, where I'm walking the here and now, has been waiting from the beginning of time for me to come there. To make um, every moment count and every moment meaningful, you have to be able to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. We get so trapped, I need a new high, a new novelty, that we lose sight. And we say, this is monotonous. The sun comes up every morning, big thing. The Baal Shem Tov says, a miracle is simply The difference between a miracle and nature is simply frequency. If it happened once in your life, you'd call it a miracle. It happens every day. Ah, I breathe 18 times a minute. Who thinks about it? Go to a hospital, you see someone struggling to breathe. Oh, one second. How many mechanisms have to work to get oxygen into my system? So I believe it's seeing the moment for all its potency and all its potential. You meet somebody. Maybe your soul came down to this world to do a favor for that person. I would look at it like a businessman. You ever see a real person who owns a business? 24-7, wherever he goes, he's looking for opportunities. Maybe this is a client, maybe this is a partner, some investor, etc. The same thing is to see that your life, using Kabbalistic language and Hasidic language, that every soul is allocated, each one of us is allocated divine sparks that are scattered all over in your life, where you grew up, the school you went to, the friends you have, where you've traveled, the work you do. And the job is to, so so speak, redeem those sparks, right. not ignore them. Like in some way, use them for something good. We're sitting here, I mean, this is a beautiful discussion. But I see it also. This is, this was meant to be, and perhaps we, not perhaps we should use the moment. People use today technology for nonsense, mm-hmm. and you could use it. Who knows what well, someone's going to hear something that could touch them. Tremendous. And, yeah, and, and, I mean, and, this is and, a tool that we. You said yeah. how gratifying is when you hear someone say, you know what? That really touched me. That really moved me. It changed something. So that's what it is. Technology is exactly that. It's created for a reason. It's not just to make money or to entertain yourself or for some other nonsense. It's a
0: tool. And we can could,
1: we could, yeah, use that tool for, for positive. So I think to, to, to have that attitude. And I would make even an exercise in the morning. Okay. And this is universal exercise for Jews and non-Jews. The morning when you wake up, before you do anything else, just say this one line. Thought or meditation and prayer We call it moda'ani But in simple words it means Thank you for giving me back my soul Thank you for giving me a life of meaning Thank you for giving me a mission An indispensable mission And carry that thought in all you do and That becomes like a hub That connects the spokes Of the other things you do Even when you commute Maybe you're sitting somewhere Maybe you should say a kind word Everything has deeper pot- potency Deeper potential As Einstein said, and right? Then everything becomes alive you know, when people love each other, every detail. It's not like, oh, we need dramatics and we need fireworks. You could just have a conversation, a simple conversation. A mother diapers a child with a certain love. The most significant things in life don't happen with the cameras. They happen in those moments that nobody's watching. That's true. And when you see that, you see the power in that. And I, by the way, the Rebbe, I saw that with the Rebbe. Every detail, a step, a person, a, uh, a child. Nothing's trivial, it's like everyone says i' I'm, I'm, I have my priorities. I'm only talking to celebrities today, you know no that doesn't work that way. People see every moment as that, and then the entire existence was waiting for you to be there and do something good with that moment,
0: yeah, as Einstein says, um you believe nothing's a miracle or everything's a miracle
1: exactly, yeah, exactly. Everything is a miracle, life itself is a miracle. The problem is we are the only human be the only creatures on earth. That are always looking, you know, like animals are comfortable, but we are—we want some new high, new excitement. We have a restlessness. That's true. A new, a new, a new, uh, a
0: new, a new practice that I'm trying to do daily is to um is to create a gratitude list. Something to just help me, sort of like a modani, like a morning meditation. Gratitude you is a tremendous. It's just to take a moment throughout the day. To... And, and here's a good example. Yeah.
1: Gratitude goes back to the Torah. Mm-hmm. Bring Bikurim. You come into the new land, yes. bring the first fruit. It's gratitude today is proven to be psychologically healthy. It lifts your spirits. You start recognizing what matters. It's humility. It brings the awareness. I'm not just a self-made man. Yeah. yeah, you've seen, I've seen on, on YouTube some tremendous gratitude. Uh, they, did you see that one where all those people are are asked to write down, and they don't know, ask down something that happened in their lives that they are gra- grateful, yeah. and then they're asked to call those people. Oh, great. Could be a teacher 30 years ago. You got to see that. That's cool. It's a tremendous video. Mm. And, and, it's, and, and, and I hope it's not staged. And then the reaction they have, they call that it's person. Isn't that scary? Though. Like the first moment is like, oh, I hope it's not, real. hope it's real. Hope then, it's you're, the then, then you're asked to write down a letter to them, thanking them. Mm. Then they make you call them and read the letter. Mm. You have to see some of the reactions. Mind-blowing. And one person was a very negative person, how it literally changed his attitude. Because gratitude brings you back. You start thinking that memory that person did something for me hey you know what
0: yeah totally if there's one one life lesson that you've first hand that you experienced that you learned what would that be
1: you stumped the rabbi <laughs> 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 finally <laughs> It took about you, an hour, but you, it can, you can imagine. I've been asked this question many, many. A time, I don't want to give time. you a canned answer. I'm yeah. really thinking. Yeah, I appreciate like, that. In my heart.
0: Something that you know, whatever's coming to your forefront of your mind now, whether it's something
1: that you connect to. The thing that comes to mind that may not be the best, but it's what comes to mind right now. It's perfect for this moment. Is that we live in a world where people don't think they really matter, and therefore they don't take other people's lives either that seriously. So I think the biggest lesson is that you and I absolutely matter, we're indispensable. You're an indispensable musical note, and if you don't play it, no one else can play it for you. Mm. That that message would be conveyed from young age to children through adulthood, it would change the world. Wow, wonderful. Rabbi
0: Simon Jacobson, Simon, uh, thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your experience with me. And with us, and um, and as you mentioned, you're, you're more than just one note, you're a symphony, and you've uh, shared that with the world continuously, and may you be blessed to continue doing that uh, for many, many more help, happy and
1: healthy years to come. That's a beautiful blessing, I bless you in return, and right. you use your skills and talents, tremendous talents, to uh, bring light to the world, Thank you. and to bring light into sometimes a very dark world. And use all the tools at your disposal. And you should actualize yourself as much as possible. May. Bring out the greatest strengths that you may not self not be aware of. May, thank you. Where can people f- find more about
0: you and what you're up to and more about the Meaningful, uh, Meaningful Life Center? And
1: Well, MeaningfulLife.com is the website. So that's easy. There's a full array of resources. That lead you everywhere, to the YouTubes and to the social media. You know, I just One place takes you everywhere. Beautiful. The MeaningfulLifeCenter.com. No, meaningfullife.com. Meaningfullife.com, beautiful. Yeah, Perfect. Meaningfullife.com. Been honored to sit with you, Mayor. Thanks very much. Right, Until we'll next have time. More occasions. Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Simon Jacobson, for coming through and sharing your insight and wisdom with me. Especially on your birthday. Happy birthday again. And happy birthday to you, the listener. If it's your birthday today, awesome sauce. And remember the incredible and the most powerful concept that you matter. And just really grateful for you to be taking the time to listen to this podcast, and also for your support in this podcast. It really goes a long way. Don't forget to subscribe, like, uh, rate it, give a comment. And if you want to listen, if you want to watch this podcast, if you you know, why not check it out on my YouTube channel as well? Feel free to follow me on all of these social media platforms: Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all the goodies at Mayor K. And until the next podcast, which we drop on Mondays. I want to wish you a great day.